Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome in. Welcome current listeners, new listeners. This is episode 19 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. I'm a day late. I promised either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I am record. I am recording on a Monday night. Sunday was kind of botched for me. Uh, it was the day after the track meet. It was supposed to be, you know, my rest day. Get all the notes together. Do the show. And my mom wanted to take me and my brother shopping to do some stuff for prom. So I had to go shopping for prom, and it turned out to be a wasted day because I found nothing that I wanted. So my apologies for that. But hey, better late than never. It is Monday, the 23rd of April. The draft is this Thursday. I am extremely excited for that. NBA playoffs are looking really good right now, really interesting. It is great to be a sports fan right now. Uh, But we're going to start today's show with something from baseball. I don't talk about baseball a lot. But I thought this was really cool. Uh, Brandon Belt, first baseman for the San Francisco San Francisco Giants, and Jamie Baria of the LA Angels were in a battle in a 21 pitch at bat. 21 pitches. That is a MLB record for a pitch count. In an at-bat. The at-bat lasted 12 minutes long. That's pretty boring to watch if you're if you're at that game or watching that game on TV. Uh, but really it was kind of a disappointing end to the uh, to the at-bat. I watched the video. It was kind of a disappointing end. Just a, a fly out to right field. Really those kind of fights at the plate should be... That should either end in a base hit or like a home run. Or a strikeout. It should be a victory for the pitcher or a victory for the batter. It shouldn't just end in a little little pop out. That, that really just it, it's kind of boring. It kind of just really kills the whole dramatics of it. Anyways, I mean history is history, I guess. No matter how you slice it, that's that's really cool. Uh, so I wanted to start the show off with that. Uh, the schedules for the 2018-2019 NFL season are out. And I looked up the strength of schedule for the teams, and I want to go through them with you. So, really, it's actually kind of surprising to me because some of the teams that were actually really bad have some of the toughest schedules in the league. I always thought it was supposed to be reversed. But, here, I'll give you an example. Like Green Bay wasn't very good last year without Aaron Rodgers. They have the toughest schedule in the league. The Browns did not win a single game. They're tied for the fifth hardest schedule in the league. Bears, terrible, tied eighth. Giants were terrible, tied also eighth. Cardinals, terrible, tied eighth. And then if you go down to the bottom... Texans were kind of bad without Watson, so that makes sense. 
But then you have like the Jaguars who went 10 and 6. They're tied 25th. The Patriots who made it all the way to the Super Bowl lost what? Two games? They're tied 22nd. And then you have teams in the middle like the Bills and the Cowboys who were in the in the mix for the playoffs. The Bills made the playoffs, Cowboys didn't, but they had very middle of the pack records, and they're around 15, 16, 17, 18th in the league. I'm kind of surprised by it. It must, it must be some kind of random generation. I always thought that it was strategically placed to where the worst teams had a significantly lesser strength in their schedule than teams who did the best. But we'll go through the list here, top to bottom. Green Bay, toughest. Number two, the Saints, tied second. Detroit, and that's kind of surprising because they were around middle of the pack. Number four, the Buccaneers. And then we have three teams tied for fifth, the Browns, Seahawks, and Rams. Uh, tied eighth, we have four teams. Chicago, Minnesota, New York Giants, Arizona Cardinals. And then, let's see here, 12, 13, and 14 are the Panthers, Falcons, and Redskins. Tied 15th are three teams with the 49ers, Dolphins, and Cowboys. 18th, the Buffalo Bills. Tied 19th, we have the Eagles and Chiefs. And really, the Eagles should be near the top of the list, winning the Super Bowl. Every Super Bowl winning team, whoever won the Super Bowl the previous year, should have the toughest, toughest schedule in the league. That's my opinion. I really think that's how that should be. Or if it's not the toughest, it should be in the top five toughest. Okay, I lost my place here. Okay, tied 19th, we have the Eagles and Chiefs. 21, the Ravens, tied 22. Patriots and Colts, 24th, the Chargers, tied 25th, we have four teams, the Steelers, Jaguars, Jets, and Broncos. Uh, the Jaguars and, and Steelers should definitely be near the top. I think any team that wins their division, makes the playoffs, and makes a playoff run, they should have they should be near the top of the league in terms of strength of schedule. Really, it must. It has to be random generated. Uh, tied 29th, we have the Oakland Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals. Makes sense. And 31 and 32, the Titans and the Tex Titans should definitely be near the middle. Made the playoffs. So, don't really know what happened there. But, that is the strength of schedule. And, oh, okay, and here, here, this is where the strength of schedule comes from. I just saw this on this website here on ESPN.com. says the 2018 strength of schedule figures are based on their opponent's winning percentage in 2017. So I'm assuming that that's based on the opponents of their 2018 schedule, I assume. So I guess that makes sense, how they do it. 
but I still stand by my statements that all division winners should have a tougher schedule than the majority of the league. Super Bowl winners, conference championship appearing teams should have tougher schedules. So there is the strength of schedule for you guys. Uh, let's move on now to a signing by the Baltimore Ravens that I think is going to have a massive impact on the draft for a few teams. A few teams. So the, the Baltimore Ravens signed Willie Sneed, receiver from the Baltimore or from the New Orleans Saints, sorry, to a two-year $10 million deal. And the Saints did not match that offer sheet. And so, like I said, I think this severely impacts the draft. Joe Flacco now has very sufficient offensive weapons in terms of their receiving core. Willie Sneed now, Michael Crabtree, and they signed John Brown. I think those are three very solid receivers. That means the Ravens don't have to draft a receiver like Calvin Ridley at pick 16. It's not a necessity for them anymore. They can do that in a later round, third, fourth, fifth round. So now my my prediction for that pick, I think, is a tight end. They don't really have a tight end. Mike Gusecki, I, I think, is probably the best tight end in the draft. So I assume that's what the, the Ravens will do with that pick at number 16. But really, this opens up plans now for Dallas. I think Dallas the Dallas really needs a receiver. They don't really have a clear number one. So Calvin Ridley at 19 would be outstanding for them. If Ridley's off the board, Cortland Sutton's measurables are outstanding. He's 6'4", 220. And he's got 4'5 speed, which isn't blazing. It's not outstanding, but still pretty good for a guy that size. I'm a Cowboy fan. I would like to have Cortland Sutton if Calvin Ridley is off the board. But not only does this impact Dallas, it impacts teams potentially. It could impact the Seahawks. We don't really know what the Seahawks are going to do with their pick at 18. The Carolina Panthers are in need of a receiver. That could impact it if, say, like, the Cowboys pass on a receiver in the first round, or if they don't pass on one, it just it, it really it affects the availability of receivers to some teams. It just affects the availability and what's left. So like Carolina won't have to settle for Christian Kirk if Cortland Sutton is still there, which Christian Kirk is still an outstanding pick, but I like Cortland Sutton better. So you understand what I'm saying. Calvin Ridley still being on the board affects the availability of what's there for teams to pick from. But with that, we're going to jump into my NFL Mock Draft 7.0. And we're just going to do the top 10 picks. We're not going to do a full first rounder ahead of this Thursday's draft, but nonetheless, let's get started. Number one, the Cleveland Browns need a quarterback. 
really, I don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. Uh, I've heard Josh Allen for the longest time now that he's going to be the number one pick. Everyone says Darnold is the number one quarterback in the class. Right now, Baker Mayfield is actually climbing a lot of draft boards. And supposedly, Baker going number one is actually picking up a lot of steam right now. So I'm not really sure what the Browns are going to do at quarterback. But I do like Sam Darnold. I think they're going to go with Sam Darnold. Quarterback USC. Number two, this is where a trade comes in. And I only have one trade in this first round. But I have the Bills trading up with the Giants to take Josh Allen out of Wyoming. And really, this could have a huge impact, really. If the Browns don't take Darnold number one, the Giants aren't going to trade back. I think the Giants really want Darnold. And if Darnold's not there, I think they will seriously consider trading back. They could take Saquon Barkley. That's a very high possibility. They could take Bradley Chubb. Trading back is also another option, so you can stockpile more picks. We're going to say the Bills trade up, take Josh Allen at number two. They're going to get their quarterback of the future. Number three, instead of Josh Rosen, I think Baker Mayfield is the way to go for the Jets. Like I said, him going number one is picking up a lot of steam. So top three makes a lot of sense here. And teams really like him. He's got this cocky arrogance about him that I think some teams actually really like. A guy that has a chip on his shoulder. The guy that you know has this, this confidence about him. And he's an extremely accurate quarterback too. Granted, he did play in the Big 12, which has no defensive firepower whatsoever. But he was still very, very, very accurate. Very accurate. And a lot of teams like him, so I think the Jets are going to take him at three. Number four, the Browns could trade back with this pick. But with all the talent that's in the within the first 10 picks here, I really don't think the Browns can afford to trade back with what's here. They, they could use an offensive lineman. They could go Quentin Nelson here. They do need defensive back. They, do, they could use another edge rusher. They could go Chubb, Ward, Nelson, Minka. I like Denzel Ward here. I think they need a pure corner. Denzel Ward's the best cover corner in the draft. Brown's got to go Denzel Ward here. And I think he's got that Marshawn Lattimore type of impact, rookie of the year, kind of defensive rookie of the year kind of impact. I really like Denzel Ward for the Browns. Number five. This is a pick that actually I think is extremely, extremely possible. The Denver Broncos cut. Running back C.J. Anderson, who rushed for over a thousand yards this year, but they cut him. That only mean that means one thing. They want Saquon Barkley. 
They're not going to take a quarterback in the first round. They have Case Keenum for two years, who is more than serviceable. Way more than serviceable. The Broncos are going to get Saquon Barkley here. You're going to have, you're going to have Case Keenum at quarterback. You're going to have Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders on the outside. Tight end, I don't really know who they have at tight end. I really couldn't give you a name. And then you'll have a solid offensive line. Their offensive line isn't terrible. I kind of like that offense for the Denver Broncos. I kind of do. I really do. Saquon Barkley makes a lot of sense here because they cut C.J. Anderson. Number six, the Indianapolis Colts. There's a lot of talk that the Colts are going to trade back from six again. Uh, Arizona Cardinals potentially could trade up. Uh, if the Bills don't trade up with the Giants, they could trade up with the Colts. The New England Patriots could trade up with the Colts if they want a quarterback. All very possible. But we're going to keep the Colts at six. And I think they're going to take Bradley Chubb. I don't think they can pass on Bradley Chubb if he's on the board. Ideally, I think it would be best for them to select Quentin Nelson, but I don't think they're going to be willing to pass on the talented edge rusher in Bradley Chubb. They do That is a necessity for them. They do need edge rushers. I would rather them take offensive line for Andrew Luck's sake but hey, a, a good defense can also help your offense out a little bit. Number seven, Buccaneers need defensive back help. They do need edge rushers. Chubb is off the board in this current mock draft. Minka Fitzpatrick, who's kind of a little positionless, don't really know if he's a corner or a safety, probably a safety, but he would be a big help for that secondary that was atrocious last year. Number eight, the Bears get Quentin Nelson. Protect Mitch, Mitch Trubisky for the next 10 years. You're going to get a Pro Bowl caliber offensive lineman. Notre Dame always produces outstanding offensive linemen. Uh, most recently, Zach Martin. Zach Martin was a Pro Bowler his rookie season. If Quentin, Nelson's, if Quentin Nelson's anything close to that, Trubisky is going to be Fine for 10 years. We'll have a scratch on him. Number nine. This is where things change. I've had them taken defensive back, safety, corner in my recent mock drafts. But news came out that Reuben Foster is facing several assault allegations and I believe sexual abuse, things of that nature. He could he is in a lot of trouble right now. I don't think it was sexual abuse. I think it was just assaulting a woman. I think that's what it was. So let me just clarify there. Uh, I don't want to misspeak. But nonetheless, he could face some potential jail time. And John Lynch said that if it is proven that he did assault a woman, then he will be cut immediately. 
So that's going to open up a big need at inside linebacker, middle linebacker, for the 49ers. So instead of going for, for a defensive back, Roquan Smith, I think, is going to be their next avenue. That's their, that's their, uh, that's going to become their number one choice. And even if Reuben Foster is not convicted of such crimes, I think, I think the 49ers are just going to cut him anyways, because that's just a distraction. He's already been involved in, in, in his, when he was drafted, he was involved in diluted drug samples, I believe. So he's already got some, negativity surrounding him he's had negativity surrounding him for the past year might as well just cut him let him go get that distraction out of there get that cancer gone and get Roquan Smith who's just an absolute beast sideline to sideline Roquan Smith is probably the fastest linebacker in a long time he can sideline to sideline he is incredible at the point of attack phenomenal and hits running backs in the hole head on. This guy, I think, is going to be a star. And then number 10, the Oakland Raiders. They also need a linebacker. Roquan Smith's gone. Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker, Virginia Tech. Second best linebacker in the draft. And he is, and it's not by much. Roquan's not that much better than him. So, yeah, I think that's the most sensible pick here. They could go corner here. They do need a corner. They could even go Derwin James. Linebacker, I think, is probably their biggest need, though. Tremaine Edmonds, number 10. And then number 16 with the Ravens. Like I said, I think that's going to be a tight end. Mike Gusecki. Uh, Hayden Hurst, potentially, Mark Andrews. I'm not really sure who the best tight end is. I haven't really looked into that that much. I'm sure they're all kind of on a level playing field. I'll throw Mike Gusecki out there. We'll see what happens. And then 19, Cowboys. I think Calvin Ridley is very much in the conversation if he's still available. I think that is the pick. But this Thursday, that'll be very, very exciting. I am pumped for that. Extremely pumped. But we're going to stick with some draft talk, even though the mock draft, this week's mock draft is over. I want to kind of outline what the Browns should do with this year's draft. Their perfect draft scenario. So round one, obviously at pick number one, they need a quarterback, obviously. And like I said before, it's either Allen or Darnold. I think Darnold is the best way to go. Josh Allen's just too inaccurate. And I know there's, there's some other guys that, like Brett Favre was very inaccurate coming out of college. He actually had a lower completion percentage than Josh Allen. But the name Jamarcus Russell just is stuck in my mind. When I think of Josh Allen, I think of Jamarcus Russell and, and to some degree. Jamarcus Russell had a cannon for an arm, extremely athletic, 
had a outstanding combine like Josh Allen did. It's it's really either boom or bust with Josh Allen. You're either going to get a superstar or you're going to get one of the biggest draft busts of all time. I don't know. It's the Browns. That's why if any other team, it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But it's the Browns. You've been picking a quarterback in the first round for the past 15 years. you got to get this one right. And there's been talk that the Browns are going to take two quarterbacks at number one and at number four. That just makes absolutely no sense. You have Tyrod Taylor. If you pick one of those one quarterback, he'll develop behind Tyrod for a year. He doesn't need to start. The only way that drafting two quarterbacks actually makes any kind of sense is if you're going to trade one of them. Use it as trade bait, and you're going to get a ton of picks for one of those quarterbacks. But teams actually may not trade for him. They may not trade for one of those quarterbacks because they could have used one pick on him, and instead they're going to have to pay multiple picks for him for one of those quarterbacks. So I, I really don't think the Browns are thinking of two quarterbacks at four. It just doesn't make much sense to me. They have other needs that they need to address before two quarterbacks. You're not going to have Tyrod Taylor, Josh Allen, and Sam Darnold on the same roster. just doesn't make any sense. Pick one and address a different need at four. Number four, I said Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb is in the equation, Quentin Nelson is in the equation for me. It's one of those three guys. And we'll throw in Minka Fitzpatrick just so we can have a, uh, a quartet. One of those four guys I foresee being taken at number four if the Browns don't trade back. Denzel Ward at corner I think is the perfect option. Perfect. Number, or sorry, round two. Round two. Carlos Hyde is an injury-prone running back. and But he's, he's very good. He's just injury-prone. So you're going to need a replacement for him. Saquon Barkley is obviously gone because you're not going to take him at four. I, I like Sony Michelle early in the second round, around 30. You can take him at the first pick of the second round, take him at 35. Carry on Johnson out of Auburn's there. I like one of those guys in the second round for running back. I think that's what the Browns should do with one of those picks in the second round. Offensive line is also in need. Joe Thomas is gone. A tackle would be a very useful second round investment. I like Martinez Rankin. Offensive tackle. Late in the second round. I think late in the second round, that's a pretty solid pickup. And then also, if they want to get a safety, they don't really have a good safety. Let's say they take Denzel at four. They, they then have a need for safety. Ronnie Harrison could be a guy. Justin Reed out of Stanford. One of those guys. The really, round one and two, I think, what is what makes or breaks the Cleveland Cavaliers draft. Plain and simple for me. I think just round one and two are just loaded 
loaded with talent. Round three, linebacker is also, it's, it's not a need in the first two rounds, but round three I think is where you get your depth. Jerome Baker out of Ohio State, if he's available, I think he is a solid third-round draft choice. Round four, I think you can possibly go more defensive back help, more secondary help. Uh, round five, defensive line. I think you can bolster that defensive line a little bit. Maybe get another edge rusher to put on the other side of Miles Garrett. And then round six and seven, really it's just kind of filling your holes. Maybe you could add some receiver depth. Not that they really need it, but you can maybe add a guy late. You can get maybe another offensive lineman if there's one available. Another linebacker, defensive back, something like that. Just fill a little bit of holes. Because really their needs, their needs are quarterback, defensive back, offensive line. I think those are the three main needs. You're getting get your quarterback in the first round. I think defensive back and and defensive line and linebacker and secondary, I think those are your needs throughout the rest of the draft. But let's move on now. We're going to move on. That's it for the draft. Going to be a great one this Thursday. I'm very, I am very much looking forward to it. The NBA playoffs first round is getting close to finishing. We've had one series end already, and a kind of a surprising one. But the we're going to go series by series here. Sorry, I was getting a drink. Uh, the Rockets and the Timberwolves. The Rockets are up 2-1 in the series. And really, I think the Timberwolves could actually be more in this series if Carl Anthony Towns has been would have been more aggressive. He has been outscored by Derrick Rose this series. And Derrick Rose has played significantly less minutes. There's no excuse for that. Carl Anthony Towns is probably the third most talented guy on the fourth most the fourth most talented guy on the floor with both teams behind Harden, Chris Paul, and Jimmy Butler. Carl Anthony Towns is that second option for the, the Timberwolves. You need to get him the ball. I believe he's only had 30 something points this whole series. That's kind of inexcusable. I, I, I just don't understand that. I believe they play tonight. I'm going to check some scores right now. Load up Bleacher Report here. My predictions still stand. I still think it's Rockets in five. And right now the Rockets are up 19 on the Timberwolves in the third quarter with five minutes left, 77 to 58. I stand by my prediction of of Rockets in five. It's about to be 3-1, barring some major collapse by the Rockets. But yeah, Rockets in five. Warriors and Spurs, that series is currently 
The Spurs had a big game last night. Manu Ginobili went off. 40-year-old Manu Ginobili showing he still got it. And really, I think this win was for Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich lost his wife recently. Thoughts and prayers out to Greg Popovich and his family. Uh, so I think really that game was for them. It was for Popovich and his family and his wife's family. Uh, that's really an unfortunate, unfortunate situation for them. The Warriors, I think, kind of weren't ready to play. And the Spurs, I think, really just didn't want to lose in four games. The Spurs, that's not the Spurs' way. The Spurs don't get swept. Warriors in five. I think this is going to end in five unless, you know, Manu Ginobili has another outstanding game. I don't foresee that. Warriors in five. Now, this was the big surprise. I had the New Orleans Pelicans beating the Portland Trailblazers in six games. However, the series was a sweep. I did not see a sweep coming at all. Anthony Davis was outstanding. Drew Holiday was outstanding. Rajon Rondo, playoff Rajon Rondo, is probably one of the best point guards in the league. And I'm not kidding. He's probably a top five point guard in the league in the playoffs. That is not a joke. And they swept the Trailblazers without Boogie Cousins. They do not have Boogie. But if they can do this without Boogie, imagine what they could do with Boogie. This is going to entice Boogie to stay with them. And Boogie's not going to get a max deal, not with that Achilles injury. And Achilles injuries for a guy that big... That's that's not going to go over too well when he first comes back. I foresee a max a max deal for Boogie. I, I think is going to be around like thirty three million dollars. He's not going to make that. He's probably going to. They're probably going to sign him to a one year twenty five mil just to see what he's got for that one season. And he's not even going to return probably until mid season next year at the earliest. So one year, $25 million is a safe bet, especially under the cap situation the NBA finds itself in. But that's a big sweep for the Pelicans. And Terry Stotts, the head coach for the Portland Trailblazers, I imagine is going to be under fire here. He is probably going to get fired. You're a three seed in the Western Conference, and you get swept by a seed lower than you. That's inexplicable. You should be able to win one game or at least two, but you got swept. Come on, man. So Terry Stotts, I think, is going to be fired from that job if he hasn't been already. But the Pelicans are going to move on to the next round. Another interesting series, the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Jazz are currently winning that series 2-1. to one. And they do play tonight at 10.30. I'm going to stick by my Jazz in seven predictions. Uh, in the fourth quarter, the last two games, Russell Westbrook has scored two points. 
Explain that to me. Explain, explain that. Ricky Rubio in Game 3 had a triple-double against the triple-double king in Russell Westbrook. Explain that to me. I think this is a team that is just, it's just better. Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, and Paul George have not gelled all year. They've had their moments. Paul George is thinking about L.A. He's thinking about the Los Angeles Lakers. They're they're checked out. I think this is gonna be it's gonna be a seven game series. I think, but man, if the Jazz find a way to win tonight, could even be in five. Who knows? But I'm gonna stick with my Jazz in seven predictions. All right, over to the Eastern Conference now. Toronto and the Washington Wizards. That is tied at 2-2. Let me tell you, this has been a very chippy series. There's not a lot of fights. A lot of going at each other. A lot of going at each other's throats. That's, that's been probably more fighting in four games of the playoff series than I've probably ever seen and heard about. Really, any kind of contact that is made, it's like it's just automatic clear the benches fight. And technicals all over the place. So it's a very chippy series. Tougher one than I thought for the Toronto Raptors. So Toronto in five is not obviously not possible now. I'm going to go with Toronto in seven. We're going to change that to seven. I think this is a very, very tough series for Toronto. But I think Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan will find a way to get it done. The Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. This series is tied at 2-2. Boston without Kyrie Irving, they're actually very impressive. I predicted Milwaukee in 7. I stand by that. I do not think they play tonight. Let me check Bleacher Report again here. I do not see anything. Regardless, I really like the Bucks in seven. And that would set up a great matchup with the probable winner of this series, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Miami Heat. Philly is up 3-1 in this series. Ben Simmons has been a monster. Joel Embiid, monster like always. J.J. Redick is hitting from everywhere. This team is probably going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I really, really like Philadelphia. Miami is just not, they're just not as good. Dwayne Wade has had his moments in this series, but I think it's just, it's too late for Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is just too old now. I just don't, they might get another game, but I think it's just, the t that team is just not well equipped to beat the 76ers. Ben Simmons is really, really, really looking good. Philly in five. I'm standing by that. And then finally, probably the most interesting series. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Indiana Pacers are knotted up at Two apiece in this series. 
This is tougher for the Cavs than probably a lot of people thought. I think this is, if the Cavs get by the Pacers, this will be the toughest series they play, unless they play the 76ers in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Pacers are actually a really good team. They match up well with the Pacers, and they play great defense, or with the Cavs, sorry, and they play great defense. They play really good defense. Really, they had an opportunity last night to steal Game 3, I'm sorry, Game 4, and go up 3-1 in the series, and they would have been one game away from knocking out LeBron in the first round for the first time in LeBron's career. That would have been insane. That would have been insane if the Pacers would have pulled that off last night. And really, they had their opportunities. They, they had their opportunities to do it. They kind of let it slip away, and that could do the the Pacers in. Because if you give LeBron life, if you let him hang around, he will make you pay for it. Right now, since it is still 2-2, I'm going to stick by Cavs and 6. But I would not be surprised if it was Cavs and 7, or if the Pacers knocked off the Cavs in 6 or 7. I would not be surprised by any result in this series, but I'm going to stick by Cavs and 7. I'm sorry, 6. Alright. So that's it for me this week. Once again, my apologies for being a day late on recording and getting it out there. This probably will not drop until early Tuesday morning. Got to get better. But this Thursday, I'm really excited. It is the draft. And I'm thinking about possibly doing a live stream. A live stream podcast or possibly a live stream on YouTube of draft coverage. I might record the first round of the NFL draft this Thursday and react to the picks and trades that are made. So look for me on YouTube for a live stream. And if I don't live stream, I will record a video and upload it to YouTube. And that will probably be my my quote-unquote show for the week. That might be episode 20, that, that video, potentially. Or what I could do is do the live stream on Thursday and do a show later on in, at the end of the week. We'll see what happens. We'll see how, we, how, we're, how we're doing it. I will be on Twitter. I will tweet about it when the time comes. We'll cross the bridge when we get to it. But anyways, that's it for me this week, guys. Follow me on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. Definitely look for me this week. I would love to, to do a live stream of the draft. Stay tuned for that. You know what it's been. It's WFS. WFS.